startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Welcome, everybody. This is Joe from startuprad.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany, as well as the world's first internet radio station dedicated to startups and tech companies make sure to hit the like and subscribe button and leave us a good rating wherever you're listening to this or watching this today i bring you another expert interview together with thomas here hey thomas how you doing hi joe nice to be here on your podcast totally our pleasure uh, the reason you are here is for the very uh, is very simple because you are one of the authors of the most recent report of the startup heat map Europe, which I downloaded, I found very interesting. And so I thought, uh, let's talk to the authors. And that's why we are here today. Can you tell us a little bit about the background, where this is coming from and what you did in order to get this report of right now more than 80 pages together? Yes. Exactly. So the startup heat map uh, report is actually coming out for the fifth time already. For the last five years, it's been um, a steady publication. Um, it is produced by entrepreneurs. So everyone in the startup heat map team has an entrepreneurial background. We work in the startup scene. And five years ago, when we started, we were really interested to understand what are the cross-border relations of the startup communities in Europe? What's happening um, in terms of connecting across Berlin, London, but also other hubs like Frankfurt um, and, uh, and all the countries in Europe. So what we did was designing um, a methodology to understand how these connections are growing. So one of the main um, elements we look at is the perception founders have of startup places. So that's why we also have this by now quite famous ranking of the most attractive startup hubs in Europe. Um, because we asked the founders, where would you go if you could choose freely in Europe? Where would you go to start your company? And that gives us this, um, this prominent ranking. And it has been quite interesting to watch the changes in the rankings over the last five years. And um, one thing is interesting, the top 10, for example, is quite st uh, stable over the time. But you see um, developments that are, let's say, long-term trends. Um, so, for example, that you see a more democratic um, landscape than before. Um, the top hubs, when we started five years ago, London, Berlin, they were unreachable. They were 60% of the vote. Basically, everyone said, if I could choose, I would go to London, I would go to Berlin. Today, that picture is quite different. They, they reach something between 30 and 40 percent now. So um, that's, a, that's a huge uh, decline in, in, let's say, preference. And now we have, like, um, we have more cities that are on, on an equal footing, if you will. Which is quite good. That means there are more and more places in Europe where you can successfully found a startup company. And I do believe uh, so far, uh, let me quickly check the document I have here. Right now you have on your list, I do believe, oh yeah, 52 cities. And I would be more than happy if it would be 200 at one point in time. Yes, indeed. It's actually more than the 52 that we, we publish. We track about 119 cities. Um, 
in principle, you could name in the survey any city you like. Um, so, uh, I don't know, in, in the area of Frankfurt, there's probably some smaller cities <laughs> that could also be named. Uh, I know my co-founder, for example, comes from Marburg. Marburg hasn't made it into top 50 yet, but still uh, they have an interesting startup scene there. Um, uh, nevertheless, we, we do try to track um, more cities than, than the most popular ones because there's of course other factors as well at play and this is what we have been building over the last five years is, is more than this survey we, we do have a, a database that tracks a lot of ecosystem dynamics it starts really from, from simple things like investments how do the investments develop? Also different sectors, in uh, like what is the fintech scene in, in the various places? What is the seed uh, investments um, uh, situation uh, versus the total investments? Or looking at uh, other dynamics that are less monetary. For example, you can look at diversity. How many female entrepreneurs do you have? Um, you can look at the meetup scene. So we have collected about 100 metrics that we track. Um, and they go from really diversity to community activity, transnational connections, um, expansion locations, how many unicorns opened an office in your city and so on. So we really have like a, a large data set that allows us to understand the various developments in the cities. And um, yeah, on the website, on the startupheatmap.com, you can browse those. Um, those metrics and see for the various cities the the scores and rankings for each of the the, the metrics of course as always everybody can uh learn more down here in the show notes and there is a link and i just see the trust score of frankfurt is 71 percent uh which actually means right now nothing to me can you like before we get into <laughs> yes. the the survey data actually tell us how to interpret the data we are seeing there mm -hmm. so you're looking at the trust score which is basically the popularity now so um this is based on the uh, on the vote by the founders and uh, is calculated in relevance to the um the results of all cities so um simply said the higher up in the ranking you are also the higher the percentage is um, when you now see a 71 percent um, for frankfurt um, then you would also see the rank next to it and if i just click here and see it myself so that would be the rank 34 in um, in the whole of europe which is for Frankfurt probably not uh, bad. Um, it is a like it's not known as to be one of the top ten hubs in Europe. Um, it is fairly popular. People know it. There is some international connections as well that you can detect. People from outside Germany have voted for Frankfurt, have said, "I can imagine to start my company here." But it's not like top of the mind of every founder in Europe yet. Uh, top of the mind, let us get a little bit into the executive summary and everything that goes with it. Um, basically, what did you do to get the Startup Heat Map 2021, uh, Startup Heat Map Europe 2021 together? And what was like the major findings and what was the finding that surprised you the most? Mm -hmm. Yes, so the um, the work for the heat map report takes almost a full year. 
Um, it includes a survey of um, a representative sample of founders from all over Europe. So every year we're putting together um, like this, uh, this sample where we identify founders that we approach to fill the survey. Um, we make sure that this is um, balanced in terms of the regions. Um, um, and then we, we also correct these results so that um, if we don't have like the representativeness in a certain country, then we will correct the results in that manner. So uh, we have a robust sample that's that's for that's very important um, to understand, and that's why also it takes several months to run that survey. This survey gives us a lot of actually, sentiment. Mm -hmm. Actually, what I find very interesting is that you really uh, directly select and approach entrepreneurs for the very simple reason. Um, I found many surveys to be skewed towards the bigger uh, hubs just for the simple reason that there are more people that can actually that either see it, that have the time to vote there or just in total more people, more votes. So that mm. also is something you guys are correcting, which I find very interesting, uh, pretty good. And it gives a lot of smaller cities, like in terms of absolute number of startups, a much better visibility and much better scoring than it would be otherwise, which I also find pretty good. Yes, so we we have one advantage here, but there's of course a lot of considerations when uh, looking at the data. So um, what we saw with other surveys that are connected to an event, for example, is that you collect a lot of votes from uh, or, or um, survey participants from the participants of that particular event. And if that event is strong in a certain city or region, then you will have like a skewedness towards that. Um, this is what we try to avoid by spreading our um, our sample um, uh, on this uh, in, in this way so um, it is very important for us to um, to maintain that approach um, it is of course making life a little bit harder because you need to identify the founders um, and then you need to approach them and ask them and you have a certain response rate but in the end I believe it's more robust also we um, we work with the population size and not with the, let's say, with the startup size or so the number of startups or the number of investments and so on. Um, that's that's a difficult decision to take. Um, but we believe that if we would use like um, existing databases to correct, let's say, for the number of startups, then we would have like, again, the problem that potentially the database is skewed towards a certain geography and has a, just a better representation of one country than the other. So if we use that, our sample would be again skewed. So what we used here is the most secure um, way of uh, of weighting our uh, our data, and that is the population. I see. And um, getting a little bit into the data, what I liked was uh, that you guys had a management summary. That's basically what you need to know. Over, despite Corona, the overall funding has grown by 14%. Was this like in line with the growth you've seen? Was it bigger? Was it smaller? Yeah. So, um, the executive summary basically is based on, okay, what happens in Europe in the startup scene in general? And again, here, this is beyond the survey. So we look at the data, we use um, different data sources like dealroom.co, Crunchbase, etc. Um, and 
what we look at is the annual change of investment growth in Europe overall. And then we try to understand, is there like an, an, an effect um, by any external shocks, for example, COVID or, or Brexit, etc. And um, there was a shock by, um, uh, by COVID. Um, we actually would have had um, a stop of growth of funding in, in Europe if there weren't the government intervention. So um, what we were able to do is to um, divide between what is VC funding, let's say the typical VC funding, um, uh, that's more from the private side. Of course, there's LPs that are state-backed as well. So you definitely have some government money inside the VC industry. But in principle, that has been stable over the past years already. So we didn't uh, change the, the picture because of that. But then additionally, we had a lot of government interventions in 2020 that actually managed to maintain the growth of VC investments that we saw also in 2019, which was 14%. Um, so also 2020, the VC investments grew by 14%, and that is thanks to the government interventions. If you count the government money in, you have a growth of 14%. If you wouldn't have counted the government money in, then it would have been stagnant and basically the same as 2019. So COVID did have an impact. It uh, would have stopped the growth of the VC investments. Um, it wouldn't have uh, led to a decline. It wouldn't have been less than 2019. Um, we would have had the same. But we, uh, with the government funding, we even saw a growth of VC funding. Mm -hmm. um, you, you also write about the challenges fees competition. 27% of founders start their company abroad, which is pretty good for Europe. Do you have some kind of measure um, what those uh the, like the share of founders who are from europe and settle in another city or who are really from abroad like talking about latin america africa asia the us canada and so on and so forth mm -hmm. yes so first of all it, it's very interesting to see that 27 percent of all the founders that we have in europe are actually now working and living in a place that they didn't grow up in. And that's, by the way, the measurement we're using here. We ask the founders, where did you spend most time growing up? So it's not the nationality. Again, if you ask the nationality, you would have like, um, you wouldn't measure the same thing because I have um, a co-founder who has grown up in Germany, but his uh, nationality wasn't German. So is that now someone that really moved? No, he, he grew up here. So when he's still in Germany, he's not a fun, um, not a mover for us. And you do, and you do it based on like a whole country. So that means uh, I didn't grow up here in Frankfurt, but I would still not be considered uh, being um, uh, a, a founder abroad in your system here. No, because you're still in the same country. We do have the city. We have the city level. So we even know that how many founders change uh, the city. This percentage is around 40%, if I'm not wrong. So um, the, it's, it's even higher, but that's natural. A lot of founders change the city to, to start up, but they stay within the country. Now, 27% is the average of all founders that are foreign-born, which is quite high. If you consider that in Europe, the on the individual level, only about 2% of the population is foreign-born. So it's it's much more uh, higher. Um, but even more interesting, in the top hubs like Berlin or London, 
you have percentages of foreign-born founders that is above 65%. So to be a top hub, you really see that effect. You need to have like a huge international base of founders coming to you. Because that's very logic. If you think the term hub means exactly this. You're a hub if people come to you, settle in your city to run their business there. That makes you a hub. And so if you want to be a top hub, you have to have a very, very high percentage of foreign-born founders. Exactly. But you were asking also how many people come from uh, uh, from outside Europe. And that's uh, it's very interesting. Um, I will look up the number while we talk. But um, it's important to understand that migration is not following, let's say, the uh, the idea of, okay, everyone is moving from the poor countries to the rich countries. Um, one interesting finding is, for example, that the highest outward mobility is from the UK. So UK-born or raised founders are the ones that are most likely to leave the UK and start in another, uh, in, in another country in Europe. Um, but it's also the other way around that the UK is the most likely to be chosen by other founders who leave their country. Right, so they also have the highest percentage of inbound migration. So there is quite a we call this whirlwind. And there's in uh, in migratory studies yet there is this um, term, the whirlwind migration in the European continent. The whirlwind means you see migration from Western countries to other Western countries, um, if you want to use the term Western here. Um, so you would see like the the, the core European countries interchanging. Um, um, high, um, also in IT professionals, you see that. And you see that also with founders. You see a lot of change between the UK, Germany, France, uh, the Nordics, and so on, Benelux. And then there is the other part of migration, which is from, let's say, from outside Europe or from CEE or Southern Europe to the Northern countries, Western countries, which is not much higher or even the same. So you don't have like only this stream from poor to rich, so to say, if you want to put it very bluntly. That is not the case. You actually have a very strong whirlwind migration. And then you have this, um, uh, of course, also the attraction from non-European founders that come there. And we do see always a steady stream also of US-based, um, uh, US-born founders that come to Europe that always have played a role um, and they... They have come to Europe uh, steadily over the five years. Um, but let me just quickly get you the number. How many come from outside Europe? Um, I, I may just add during the time you were looking up some data. Um, that is like a popularity vote you have here. And Brexit pushed down London, uh, where Berlin took over just in founder popularity and also the visualization of event generated 50 to 160 percent growth rates in meetups in top hubs where admittedly i've seen a lot of digital only remote only events popping up uh let's say corona hit stronger in March and then in April, June, it started. It got really, really crazy around Christmas and uh, before Christmas. And then it kind of dropped a little bit. But what I've always seen and heard was a lot of people just register for an event and actually 
don't show up. So the no-show rates are usually pretty high in terms of meetups. Um, for example, I talked to the host of the fintech meetup Frankfurt, uh, the biggest one in continental Europe uh, of fintech meetups. And he says he has a no-show rate of at least a third. And in digital events, I do see sometimes even half of the people are just no-shows. Yeah. And in free events, especially. Yes, yes, of course. But it's a very interesting statistic that, that you mentioned. Maybe I can, for the YouTube viewers, I can share my screen. Um, here you were mentioning this statistic about the effect of COVID, so to say, on um, on the meetup landscape. Our assumption was when COVID hit that meetups would, ha taken, uh, would have taken a big hit And we also saw, actually, the first thing we saw was that in our tracking system, where we were tracking various um, websites that are um, uh, listing meetups and, uh, and, and events, that many of them stopped doing that. So that was for us the first indication that we felt like, oh, wow, so meetups are not going to, to survive this. Um, but then um, we, the source that was stable was meetup.com. So we, we now relay on this one. Um, And here we saw an interesting development. Actually, the meetup attendance increased by 13%. Now, okay, attendance is the registered attendance, um, of course. So it might be an effect that few, fewer people actually joined the, um, the events, but um, that would be a stable um, uh, change over all cities, I, I would say. And um, in general, the numbers went up. So the, what you could say, the interest in joining meetups increased during the um, during COVID, which at least gives us a positive sign that the scene is alive. People were not turning away from entrepreneurship and saying like, oh, now, okay, so now there's nothing we can do anymore. We give up. No, they were active. They were looking for possibilities to still exchange and meetups was a place they turned to. But even more interesting is that you see here, <clears throat> there's a huge difference between the uh, locations. And actually in some places you had that effect that the meetup attendance was decreasing. So for example, if you look here, Madrid minus 58%. So in yeah, Madrid... I've also mm -hmm. notice Frankfurt minus 20%, unfortunately, but also apparently Munich had a big minus sign, minus 21%. And when I've seen this plus the plus 51% in Berlin, I was wondering if this digitalization remote only did not just lead um, to people just focusing more on their interest and less on physical location, which was just a thought I had in mind at this moment. I think it is, yes. I think that people said, okay, I go to a meetup to learn something. Where are the best speakers? Where is the discussion happening that I want to join? Where do I learn something? And they went to the places that had the strongest brand. So you see like here, the top hubs that people look out to saying like, this is a hub where, where I feel something's happening, people were going to. So that I think is, um, is this effect. It was suddenly possible to join meetups virtually in other places. So you decided, would I go to my meetups in Madrid with speakers maybe from Madrid? Or would I go to London where I have like a um, 
maybe the founder of a unicorn speaking at the meetup. So people were choosing to to go to the um, uh, to these places, and I think also for the speakers, I think it was a similar effect. Those meetups also got more interesting because suddenly they could invite speakers that were not from Europe, that maybe had a world rank. It was much easier to reach these guys um, because um, in a virtual world, you have a level playing field. You can invite basically everyone to join your meetup. And I think that is the effect here. Um, that is pretty interesting. What, what I found, what I even shared on social media was very astonishing uh, dangerous developments in your highlights. Discrimination against women entrepreneurs amounted to 3 billion euros in 2020. How did you come up with that number? And have you seen, like, have you seen data in the past? And do, can you make up a development there? Mm -hmm. Yes, we actually created a full report on female entrepreneurship in Europe uh, end of last year. And for that, we analyzed a very interesting data sets. So we created a data set of around 20,000 founders to identify how many female entrepreneurs we have in the top cities um, in Europe. So we really were keen on developing a city-level database for 30 cities where we could say, okay, we have a uh, representative sample for each of these cities saying how many female founders do they have? This works by the name of the person. So the algorithm detects the name and tells us, okay, out of those 2,000 founders we have in Berlin, so and so many are female. And um, with this over like a large data set with 20,000, um, you could track like some 30 cities. And um, that was very interesting to see the percentage um, and the, the differences between the cities. So, for example, we found that Vienna had the highest percentage in all over Europe of female entrepreneurs, with 34% of female entrepreneurs. Um, and that, that's a very interesting um, uh, finding. In general, there's only 15.5% female entrepreneurs in Europe. That's the, that's the average in, in Europe. In this whole data set, 15.5% of founders are female. And here we're talking about founders and co-founders. Most statistics ask, does the startup have a female co-founder? And then they count as one and they divide it by the total number of startups. I think what we were able to confirm is that even if you count the number of individual founders, you get this percentage of people out of the uh, total pool. That's very interesting because it makes a difference if you have one female founder in a team of four where three, three are male or if you have two female founders in a team of three, right? Makes a difference. So we wanted to get behind that. Good thing is we confirmed the numbers that the others had as well. So it, <laughs> the, in the end, it evens out. It's not that it makes a huge difference in, uh, in the results, but it could have been. It's important that you do these checks. Now, the other question that is always in the media is how much VC funding goes to female founders. And there is a statistic out there that only 3% of VC funding goes to female um, founders. That is always based on that number of um, female founded startups. And here what they do is they take the, um, they take the all female startups. So they say, is the startup completely founded by women? And then they say, we we count that one and teams that are completely founded by women only raised three percent of the total vc funding in europe now this is a problem i agree there is very few 
um, uh, uh, all female teams and they also get very little VC funding. Okay, but it is not yet the end of the research we need to do. So we need to go a little deeper and understand what is the situation. So we try to understand what is the expected number of VC funding that uh, female entrepreneurs would need to get. And we use that 15.5% number here and said, okay, if it is 15.5%, um, then they should reach also 15.5% of the VC funding, right? That would be the the um, the thought. And here we compared uh, this perspective and saying like, okay, the female entrepreneurs, and here we take founders with had at least one female, uh, startups with at least one female founder, how much percentage of VC funding did they get? And how much is the difference to this 15.5% of all VC funding? And that is 3 billion in 2020, which doesn't make their life much better for them. Um, it is still, there's huge discrimination. It is definitely harder for women entrepreneurs to get VC funding. I can totally see that. And now I'm sure how you can come up with the number. I have, um, yeah, 58% of startup community shrank due to the pandemic. I do believe just in total number of startups, entrepreneurs. Um, oh, this is uh, uh, funding. Funding. Ah, okay. And um, internationalization rate uh, of startups falls below 50%. What, oh, what do you mean with that? Mm -hmm. Yes. So we were looking at how international startups are um, by asking the founders whether they have international branches or if they have hired international team members or if they have raised from international investors. So we have asked for these different um, different possibilities for internationalization, and um, then we un and then we do this over the years, and we see the development of the rate. So we see do does it increase? And until 2020, it did increase. Every year it was a little bit more, um, and now it fell below 50% for the first time. In 2019, it was something 60%, and now it fell to 48. Um, so uh, the pandemic had an immediate effect here. And here we can really say it's an immediate effect because we also asked the founders, how fast do you did that happen? And over the years, the founders told us internationalization for them happens in the first year. In the first year of establishment, internationalization is already happening um, in, uh, in most of the cases. So when we see a drop in 2020, if people tell us in 2020 we are not international, that is an immediate effect of um, of COVID because it would have happened in the first year of establishment. And all those startups who took our survey that were in the first year didn't manage to establish international ties yet. That's why the number dropped. Uh, I see. So basically what we did right now was just going through um... – the management summary. And as people could tell from your enthusiasm, there's like a lot in the almost 80 pages left there. We will leave a link down here in the show notes for everybody to find the report. And um, before I say thank you very much and goodbye, what was for you the highlight? What was the most surprising piece of information, data point that you found in this survey? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's too much things to point it down to one thing, but um, 
for us the yeah, top top three also work fine. <laughs> top three works okay so the the main thing is more of a general observation is the this question do we see a more democratic development or do we see a more oligopolistic development in europe because at the moment we have uh, still like the dominance of some sm small number of hubs london berlin maybe paris And then it's already getting very, very um, problematic. So um, this was a very oligopolistic structure. You have most of these hubs raise more than 50% of all the VC funding in, in Europe. Now, the question is, is that going to change over time? And as I said, the percentage of the vote that these hubs get is diminishing over time. Also, we saw that we have more and more um, cities where founders were able to raise more than 1 billion euro so that's the so-called unicorn uh, ecosystems where the total amount raised in one year is above 1 billion euros and now we have six cities that managed to do that six it was only two in 2014 so it increased over the last six years uh, dramatically but it is still a small number so for us the most interesting question really is what is the opportunity here will more cities raise to be prominent and functioning startup hubs with a functioning ecosystem that produce results or is this going to be a small club of a few cities where you see like continuously successful startups i'm not talking about outliers like one time you have like uipath coming out of bucharest and becoming like the the most valuable startup in europe okay <laughs> that happens it's an outlier i would say but what we are interested in is bucharest changing in an ecosystem that continuously strives and produces continuously successful startups like london and berlin do already And that is the question that, that still is out to be answered. Uh, we see tendencies to a more democratic ecosystem landscape, but it's, it's still not decided. And also the question will be, how big will that club be? Will it be a very small club with maybe five or six players? Or will it be something where we have 30 cities in each country will have a functioning ecosystem? And that's, that's still to be debated. And um, we try to un to understand the dynamics that lead to this just just on the thing left for me to say great closing words the dynamics are yet to be understood i personally would guess that there will be like 2025 uh big startup ecosystems here just just in locations where you have like a lot of population a lot of potential for good entrepreneurs and over time also the vcs need to get out and start looking beyond like the top three, the top five hubs, uh, because they are also in competition. That's at least what I hope. And there'll be a lot, hopefully a lot more interesting startups discovered by them. Thomas was just a pleasure having you here. You'll share the link with me after the recording. And so everybody can download from the show notes, the report. Thank you very much. Thank you as well. If you are a professional looking at the European startup scene, Germany is a place you cannot miss. Fortunately for you, there is StartupRad.io, the authority on German startups. This English-only podcast brings you fresh interviews each week. 
Most likely, you have never heard or read anything on these startups before in English, but you will in the future. Be ahead of the curve and subscribe to StartupRad.eo podcast or check for the StartupRad.eo internet radio station. Check your Alexa for the StartupRad.eo skill as well.